Amen? Would you join me in prayer? Father God, as we come this morning to your house, Lord, this is your house. It's not my house. It isn't our house. It's your house. And Lord, we want you to be the guest of honor. And so we open up our hearts and our minds to receive from your word. And as we do so, Lord, we think of Pastor Chuck. Lord, just a a precious man in my own life, a man with whom I co-labored for nearly two and a half decades, a man whom I consider to be my spiritual father, a man whom I love, Lord, his family. I think of Pastor Brian and Cheryl and, and Jeff and Chuck Jr. And Lord, just this family that has served you for all of these decades, Lord, responsible for over 2,500 churches around the world. Lord, for literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives being changed and transformed by the teaching of your word. We ask that you would be gentle and kind. Lord, that you would make these last days that he has on this earth of wonder. Lord, things that we will step back from and look and and just see your hand. God, we ask that you would spare his life yet even further. But Lord, we, we also recognize that it is appointed unto man one time to die. And then to face that day at the Bema seat, Lord, that place of reward. We look forward to Pastor Chuck uh, reporting to us from heaven when we get there. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless his wife, Kay. Lord, be with the church, be with Costa Mesa as this time unfolds before us. And as we study your word this morning, Lord, make us alive in Christ. Cause us to hear and to do. Lord, cause us to love you more than we did when we came in. Use your word to instruct us as your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to pick up, and this will be the fourth installment in these series of studies of bringing the light home, and today men uh, and their masters. And I want to remind you that as we... Uh, continue this little study that is really exactly that. It's a continuation of a central thought. And that central thought is walking in the light. That central thought is being Christ wherever you go. That central thought is there is one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord over all, and he is in us all, and there isn't one standard for a husband and another for a wife and one for children and another for a parent, and there certainly is no other standard that we would then take out and say, uh, go to the workplace with. And so this is a natural continuation of where we were last time as we gathered together. And those three keys that we saw last week, your devotional life, your prayer life, your life of fellowship, you cannot take anybody any further than you yourself have gone, period. So if your walk and your life is not stacking up to God's standards, then those deficiencies will also be made manifest in every other relationship you have. Amen? If you have greatness and grandeur and glory and grace and all these wonderful things that come from that relationship with Christ that produce that light coming out of you, that also will be available in every relationship you have on this earth. Does that make sense? You see, as you are a child of God, And you're a child of grace, and of course that grace is through faith, and that faith is a gift. Scripture is plain. We don't earn it. 
We're not legalistically sitting here with a bunch of rules and regulations going, do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that. It's simply the Word working in us, which produces transformed lives, minds that are renewed. We now take that out everywhere we go. That is why this decision from the Supreme Court is such an abomination to us as Christians because we should have done better at putting out the light. Amen? It's a fault of the church. We can expect the world to do things the world's way. And as we begin next week a three-part series on spiritual warfare, you're going to find out this world is not friendly to Christians. Amen? We, we need to understand that the light that most people see is us. It's the church. It's the body of Christ. And so as we finish up this last section, as we pick up in verse 5, we'll read down to verse 9, what it's really saying is if you are that by grace in your individual relationship, if you are that by grace in your marriage relationship, if you are that by grace as a parent, if you are that by grace as a child, if you are these things by grace that say, here is the Lord in me, the hope of glory, visible to the world, then it ought to go everywhere else. That's why Christians should have an opinion in the voting booth. That's why Christians should have an opinion at the school board meeting. That's why Christians should have an opinion in the workplace. That's why Christians should have an opinion at the grocery store and where you spend your leisure time and your monies and everything else that God's gifted you with because you have been called out of the world and into the marvelous light, and that marvelous light is supposed to now shine for the world to see. Amen? Verse 5. And, of course, this is referring to the workplace in our modern day and time. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and with trembling, in sincerity of heart. As to Christ, not with thy service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, with good will, doing service as unto the Lord and not unto men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Men and their masters. And, and I want to just focus in on a few things this morning. You see, at this time that these words were written, and I want to give just a brief understanding here because it helps. At the time this passage was penned, uh, there were no fast food industries, there were no retail stores, there was no Peace Corps, no joint venture banks, there were no vocational programs, there were no vocational colleges, no colleges, period. Uh, there were no minimum wage jobs. There wasn't a way for most people to earn their living. And so a vast majority, in some cases historically said, most people, more than 50% by some accounts, were slaves. And so we need to understand this as these words are used because they're very descriptive, and it means slaves. It means someone owned by another person. It should come to us this way, 
we're, we're playing it forward now into our modern day and time. So those people who were under slavery, not like what we experienced here in the, in the early formation of our democracy, which was an abomination to God, make no mistake about it, what mankind did in this country during the era in which slavery was allowed in the United States of America was an abomination to God, an absolute, total abomination to God. No excuses for it whatsoever. It was never God's plan. It was never God's will. Slavery had actually been wiped out in the Roman Empire uh, nearly two millennia before. And so we should have known better. It was sin. But what we're really seeing here is how we ought to act in our workplace. Because, like it or not, most of you have sold yourselves into some form of slavery. Amen? And I just want you to draw the, draw the analogy. And it doesn't really matter where you sit on the standard of life. The bottom line is, is if you work for somebody else, you have offered your service for payment, have you not? And as you have that as a principle that's before you, you are indebted to that other person, and at the end of the week, at the end of two weeks, at the end of a month, you get what we call a paycheck. But you have sold yourself, at least during that time, for a specific wage. And so, to some degree, you can actually make a direct correlation and an equation to slavery in our modern day and time with only that regard. That doesn't mean that you masters in the room should get out the whip and whip. we're going to go through all that. But it's just an easy way for us to understand how we ought to take the life uh, that we live in Christ into the one place that we all basically experience together. Amen? There are very few people who are so wealthy on this earth that they are neither a slave nor a master. They're usually one or the other. And so these two groups of people actually apply to virtually the whole known world. And so from a Christian perspective, these were vast numbers of people whose daily lives were governed by this type of slavery that was acceptable at the time. People then were considered pieces of property. Probably some of you think you're a piece of property. Amen? It's okay. You can say yes and amen. It's okay. God understands how you feel about your employment conditions that you're under right now. But we're going to see some principles that you need to take even given that. Because I've talked to Christians and they say, well, you know, I'm not going to do that because he doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. I'm not going to live that way. Take advantage of me every day. You're going to hate this passage of Scripture. Because it's going to pretty clearly say that you, as a servant, need to give your best irregardless of what your boss does or says. Amen? Amen? And there's a reason for it, and we'll get there. Many of the slaves at this time were highly skilled. Many of them uh, had tremendous ability to, to make a profit for their master. Some of you may feel the same way. But the bottom line is, when you accept employment, you accept it on the condition that these are the things you're hired for, these are the things you will do, and this is what you will get. It was the same then, except then, if you do a good job, you don't get beat, and you get an extra ration of meat at the end of the month. Now, probably most of you don't go to work, and your boss shows up, and he's got a nice whip in his hand, a cat of nine tails, and if you do something wrong, he ties you to a stake, in the yard and brings out the rest of the employees, well, he's going to learn a lesson now. That is exactly how it was then in some cases. 
So I'd say things are improved, so guess what that means to me? It ought to be a little easier to do these things because Christians could do it then. How about us now? What's our excuse? You see, as Christians, we're to be different in the marketplace, in the workplace. We shouldn't have that sense of entitlement. We should have a sense of service, uh, of a direct ability to impact the kingdom. And so there are some things here, and first and foremost is we need to be obedient. Notice how this uh, begins. It says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. During that day and time, Spartacus led a slave revolt. You know what happened? Hundreds of thousands of slaves were killed. Now, was slavery wrong then, just as it is now in that sense? Yes, of course. But you have to go about it the right way. You you can't just simply start a revolt. And that's why when people come to me and say, well, you know, I think I should do this. I I don't owe any respect to my employer. Uh, Your Bible says differently. No matter how you're treated. Your option is this, and let me be very blunt and very clear. You may quit. Terminate your employment, walk away with your dignity, your honor, and Jesus shining. But you may not be a bad example to both him and to the rest of those who are watching by doing the wrong thing. Your Bible says so. Sometimes people, well, you know, I have to, you know, I've actually had people tell me they had to steal from their employer to make it. No, you don't. And if you are, you're in sin. That stuff doesn't belong to you. And I realize that most of you don't fall into that category. Maybe none of you do in this room. But you need the truth in order to be able to teach the truth, in order to shine the light. So when someone comes to you, and oh, yeah, well, I would have taken it too. After all, you know, you only get this many dollars an hour. That's not enough. Of course you should take those things. When I was in business, I had a guy that worked for me that literally had his own business on the side, and he stole every bit of his material from my companies to do his work. Now, that's a pretty high profit margin. I will admit to you, he had no category on his spreadsheet for materials because he stole them from me. But I want to tell you this. In doing that, every ounce of character that you have goes right out the window. Nobody's going to sit around. I don't care how rotten you are. Most everybody knows that that's still wrong. It's not the right response. And so it first says simply be obedient. The second thing, and we don't like this word, number two here, the second half of verse five, with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto Christ. That means to be subservient. In other words, underneath as a servant. It means that your boss is right and you are wrong unless you change your rules of engagement as employer and employee, you need to do what he says. And it goes beyond obedience. There needs to be a healthy understanding that he signs your paycheck. She signs your paycheck. That you owe your allegiance as a servant to that person so long as you are indebted to them because they gave you a job. It's right in the Lord. It's not okay for you to be behind the scenes stirring up strife. It's not okay for you to be bad-mouthing your employer. It is not okay for you to be running down the business that you get a paycheck from. It is not okay. 
You need to have a healthy sense of fear. It's like, man, I'm going to get canned if I keep doing these things. You, you see, we, we find now in our modern world, and I'm going to address this in a little bit, and I believe that there would be no need for unions on this earth if every employer enacted a biblical standard for employment and the employees followed a biblical standard for their employment. I believe they would be completely unnecessary. Some of us see the kind of dedication that's put here as almost nonsense. It's like we're taken advantage of. And let me, before I get too far along here, remind you, I've been, the, I've been a member of two employment unions, both the United Food Workers and also the Iron Workers. And so I, I, I get it. I understand. I, I get the other side of the equation. But I know what your Bibleness says. It says singleness here. That means wholehearted dedication. Can you say, as an employee, that you have wholehearted dedication to your employer? Because if you do, then you're honoring the Lord. If you don't, you probably need to change and improve. We need to understand that sometimes the only Jesus people see is us. It's you and me. And maybe that's only in the workplace. Maybe that's just in that job that you take. Maybe you're a contractor. Maybe you're in real estate. Maybe you have some type of service industry. Maybe you're those types of people that do household work, those types of things. You may be the only Jesus someone sees. You might be the only opportunity for that person to ever know what it's like to see Jesus. Have you ever thought of it that way? Because if you haven't, you should. You, you see, we need to be subservient. And that, that shows us in every way, shape, or form the exact model of Jesus, by the way. For the Son of Man came not into this world to be served, but to serve, subservient, and to give his life a ransom for many. Nothing tells somebody how important they are to the Lord like them being important to you. And that goes for your wife, your husband, your children, your grandparents, your aunts, uncles, cousins, aunts, friend, and all of their employees. All of it. When someone else is important to someone who knows the Lord, and they matter to someone who knows the Lord, then they're getting a picture that they matter to God. It's very simple. A third thing. Notice the first part of verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers. I love this. That word eye service actually means eye slave. It means that you're only a slave when the eyes are on you. It means when the cat's away, the mice begin to play. It means as long as someone's looking, you're a good employee. As long as someone's around to keep track, you're kind of doing your job. But as soon as you're out of view, you feel like you're no longer, uh, you no longer need to fulfill your tasks, your goals, your duties. What a sad testimony that is when someone knows that we are Christians and that's how we act. Because you know what? That never goes unseen. It never goes unnoticed, and here's who notices it first, those who co-labor with you. Oh, every time the boss is gone, all of a sudden the breaks are 20 minutes longer. 
all of a sudden, you know, it's Instagram, Facebook, texting, cell phone, yakking. You know, hey, what are you doing? I finally at the camp had to threaten in the right way. I'm going to bring a basket to my office, and your cell phones are all going in them at the beginning of every day if you don't stop texting, if you don't stop Instagramming, if you don't stop calling. It is a poor witness of who we are in Christ when you have things you need to do, and all you're doing is sitting around getting thumb numbness. And let me tell you something, you who have teens and tweens right now, early 20-somethings, they don't know how to communicate without an electronic device. You don't believe, talk to the teachers in the room. They'll tell you the same thing. You can't have your cell phone out, you can't, they're underneath the desk, underneath a book, underneath three sheets of paper, and they don't even need to see it to text. It's it's a poor, horrible representation of Jesus. We should be putting in the effort that says, my God is whom I serve. Because then he gets the glory for it. But if you're the worst employee, if you're the latest employee, if you're the person that shows up habitually five minutes late, You're saying that the Jesus you serve is okay with you being slovenly. That's what you're saying. If you don't give a full measure of diligence to your job, you're saying that the Jesus that you serve doesn't care about that other person, the business, or anything that has to do with the other people that you work with. That's what you're saying. The light needs to go forth in every place that we are. And so he says these three things, be obedient, be subservient, be diligent, do it on a higher plane, which brings us to the claims that the Lord has on us. Notice there in the second half of verse 6, as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So who are you actually serving? Think on it, it's not hard. You're serving the Lord. You may work for an earthly master, but you are actually serving God in your job. Every one of us. And I want to tell you, the worst employees I have ever seen in my life, and I've been involved in the business aspects of ministry and in business itself for more than 40 years, have all been Christians. And I say that to our collective shame. Because there's a sense of entitlement. Well, you know, I'm going to do this. I, you know, after all, I'm just going to, you know, you can't tell me what to do because I serve God. Do you realize the shame that brings on the Lord when you say stuff like that? You should be the first one in, the last one out. You should be doing the best job at the least amount of money. You should be an example. Because as servants of Christ, we do the will of God from the heart, not with goodwill doing service, but as service unto the Lord and not men. Everything you do either has the capacity to shine a light on Jesus or to take and darken the Lord's name. The Lord's always present. And to that extent, 
I don't care whether you're a plumber or a preacher, an economist or an evangelist, a policeman, a pastor, a miner or a missionary. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. You're in ministry. Did you know that? Because ministry means taking forth the gospel. That's all it means. And you can do that as a plumber. You can do that as a miner. Uh, you, you, well, you can't do it as a politician. No, yes, you can. You absolutely can and should, as a matter of fact. But, but you have to realize that wherever you go, you're in ministry. Somebody needs to know that you love Jesus. And here's the light of the Lord, and it's shining forth out of me. And so no matter what your vocation is, you still are in ministry. So I am a Christian plumber. I'm a Christian miner. I'm a Christian banker. I'm a Christian policeman. I'm a Christian teacher. I'm a Christian first and a whatever second. And I should make sure that that Christian shines in everything else I do. It shouldn't be something that we are only here in church. In Jesus' name, may that never be so. Because where we really see people most frequently is not here. Amen? So if we're only Christians here in church, or we're only Christians in home, now do you see how this all gets the way it gets? This is why it's stated the way it is by the Holy Spirit writing through Paul. Because if it's just me... And I'm like, I'm just going to join my own club with God, just being God. The light never gets out. If it's just you and your spouse, same thing is true. If it's just your family, same thing is true. If it's just your extended family, same thing is true. The light needs to go out into the world. And if the light goes out into the world, people see the light and they go, Man, what's different about Mario and Rhonda? There's something seriously different about their lives. And then all of a sudden you have the opportunity in the workplace to lead people to Jesus. Maybe you don't do it right there at the lunch table, but maybe it's out in the parking lot after their life falls apart and they see what you've been through. And exactly as 2 Corinthians says, those things which I myself have been comforted in, I now comfort you. Because they come running when things get bad. But they need to see you stable, or they're not going to come running to you. They need to see you as someone who loves the Lord, or they're not going to come running to you. They're going to run to the world. They're going to run to the bottle. They're going to run to porn. They're going to run to a relationship. They're going to run to everything but you, unless you have been the light of the world. That's why Jesus said that to the disciples. He says, you guys are it. You're the light of the world. I'm heading home to heaven. It's on you now. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit to eliminate. And so, a couple of things here that I think is super important. In God's heavenly plan, our payday is not here on this earth. Amen? Did all of you know that you actually have an IRA? You do. Maybe you didn't know that. Uh, it's described for you the conditions of it in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to turn there, pick up with me in verse 7. It says, for we walk not by sight, but by faith. For we are confident, yes, even well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, 
according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So when you get an IRA here on earth, if you've been a hard worker and you've invested and you've done all those things, at the end of your work life, guess what you get to do? You get rewarded. You now get to not eat dog food, but you actually get to have real food at your house. Amen? Because you're not relying on Social Security, because that's not a real good retirement plan. As a general rule, wasn't designed to be so. Whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, that we persuade men that we are well known to God, that we must also trust and be known in our consequences. You see, what it says is, when you get done here on this earth, you got a reward waiting in heaven. Your reward is not here, it's in heaven. So in essence, you all have iris. And when you get to heaven, Pastor Chuck's going to probably cash his in sometime in the not-too-distant future. He's going to get there and he's going to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter in now to my kingdom of rest. You, You see, those heavenly rewards are what we're working for. So our payday, our final payday, is before God. Amen? It's not just the silly paychecks that we get here on earth. And I'm not diminishing those in any way, shape, or form. I'm telling you there's a bigger payday coming. It's the heavenly bonus check. And it's really good. And when you get there, you actually have, hear me well, have the capacity to see to it that it's bigger. Did you hear what I said? Whether good or bad, at the Bema seat of Christ, you're going to be rewarded based on your works. Pastor Chuck has a humongous paycheck coming from God. Some of us, uh, we're at the beginning of our work life, and we've got a little bit to do, amen? Some of us a little further along the road. If you want to invest wisely, invest in His corporation. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, ministry, do the work of the Lord, for knowing that from Him you will receive a reward. You do that at work too, did you know that? It's that being Christ in the workplace. It's doing the silly things that we ask about here. Volunteering for children's ministry, helping with VBS. Those are heavenly things. You do that when you share Christ with people through the way you work, through what you do, through how you act. Those are heavenly things that you are saying to the Lord, I I know that there's a day coming when you're going to honor these things. And now the master's side, if you will, masters and their men. First it was the employee's side, now it's the employer's side. Stay with me here. Uh, Verse 9, the first half of it, and it says this, pretty simple. There's exactly one standard, masters do the same thing. Is that simple enough for us? Do you know why that is? Because we all have one Lord, amen? I don't have a different Jesus than people who... Just got saved. Same Lord overall. Same standard for everyone. And so now he says, and you can kind of almost, and sometimes I've had this. I've had both sides of the equation in my office. I've had the employer. I've had the employee. And they, you know, and I have to kind of, it's like, well, let's look at what God's word says. And now from the employer side, you can almost say, well, you guys have to be subservient. You got to be diligent. You got to be obedient. Those things, you know, that's, the employer is like, yeah, I got him now. Uh-uh, not so much. And you do the same exact thing from your side. In other words, whether you're an employee or an employer, you need to be like Jesus. 
And so he gives a couple of things that are common. And before you get there, I want to tell you exactly where this has gone. If you remember roughly the Victorian era, but certainly at the turn of the 19th century, and going back to about the middle of the 1800s or so, we all think of the Victorians, and we think of the Victorians, they were kind of prim and proper, and everybody was, you know, wore the long granny dresses and hats on their head and all that kind of thing. I want to tell you that there was probably not ever a time in human history when more people were abused than during the Industrial Revolution. So much so that growing out of it, Friedrich Engels and Karl Marx developed modern communism. Why? Because all of these prim and proper, holier-than-thou folks were taking advantage of everybody else. So much so that when Ingalls did his research, wrote a wonderful book, The Condition of the Working Class in England, and when he penned that work, what he found was that about 90% of the population of England lived in squalor, while 10% lived very high on the hog. That's because they didn't enact this, and masters do the same things. Oh, they had the other stuff, right? They dressed properly. They looked holy. But they took advantage of everyone else. And it was out of that time that the socialist movement came forth and was given birth. You you see, what ultimately happened when you have this what looks like a real biblical attention to detail without the love of God and without equality for all in Christ Jesus, then you have people taken advantage of another way. In essence, right back to the slavery that we saw here in our country. First thing we need to be careful of is the middle portion here of verse 6, or excuse me, verse 9. Forbearing, beware of the abuse of power. Being forbearing and threatening. You know what? Love goes a long ways. Fear, not so much. What a tragedy when Christian employers threaten their employees. Well, you know, I'm signing your paycheck. Let me give you a little sense of, of how this is, because you can be obedient a lot of different ways. You you see, I can be obedient, in a sense, because of discipline. Discipline basically says, I have to. I can be uh, that great employee out of a sense of duty, which says, I ought to. Or, I can be a great employee or a great employer out of a sense of devotion, which means, I want to. Which one of those three things do you think is the best way to live your life? I want to. I want Jesus to shine through everything, whether I'm an employee or an employer. And so in this abuse of power, there's a legitimate use of power. Of course, you need to be able to say, you know, look, you can't keep coming in late. You need to stop doing those things, especially when both are Christians. But if you're a Christian employer, you have the responsibility for setting a standard that glorifies God. And beating people up, treating them poorly, giving them unfair wages, taking advantage of them, is not honoring to God. 
Let me just go on a little bit of a tangent here, and I don't mean to beat everybody up, but I want to be real specific here. When you hire kids to come babysit for you, this is you. When you hire people to come clean up your yard, this is you. If you're one of those folks that goes down to Home Depot and sees those guys standing on the corner and you hire them, it's you. You're not exempt simply because you don't own a business. These rules apply if you have someone in your employ, period, for any reason. Pay your babysitters well. Pay your dog sitters well. Pay those who work in your yard well, that clean up your pine needles. Some kid comes over and shovels your driveway. Honor him by taking care of him so that he knows as a Christian that you would never take advantage of somebody. That's what honors God. And if you can't afford to do that, then maybe you need to do it yourself. I just want to be blunt. Because I can tell you there are kids in this church who have complained about going and working for people in this church and said, well, I got done, they gave me ten bucks, and I worked for nine hours. Don't kid yourself, it happens. We need to be an example to our kids of all the people we ought to treat well. It's kids. They're learning how to be a Christian employee and a Christian employer for modeling you. Amen? They know, they know how to be fair, how to be just, and how to be Christ-like by watching you do it. It's the number one way they're going to learn. So please, be fair. Not forbearing and, well, you didn't do a good job. I had a young man last year come to me after pine needle season. And he told me he spent two days on somebody's house. Now, this person was not in, in this church, but they claimed to be a Christian. And in fact, that's exactly how he got hired. They gave that young man $20. A hundred and fifty bags of pine needles. What do you think he learned about Jesus from that experience? Be careful. This doesn't stop just because it's at your house. Do the same things without forbearing or threatening. Basically, all society is based on this premise, family of God, that we are the light of the world. And so everything we do should speak of Jesus. Whether that's hiring a babysitter, whether that's getting your house painted, your fence done, your lawn mowed, your paper delivered. All of those things are an opportunity for the light to shine or not. The extreme example of that power being exerted, because you can. You know, somebody comes and cleans up your pine needles, they're not going to sue you. They're not going to have the power to do it. They're going to forfeit that. It's an oral contract, though enforceable in the state of California, nearly impossible. But what you can do is either destroy the relationship that they might have with the Lord or build them up in it. Amen? I can tell you what Mao Zedong did. Went the other way. can tell you what Karl Marx did. Other way. Stalin, Lenin, the other way. Took advantage of everyone and everything. And created, in essence, an oligarchy. A ruling class of people. We are the people. And we are to be Christ in every situation.
And finally, beware of that abuse of our position. Let me just say this. Every one of us can be prone to taking advantage of our situation. Whether that's maybe it's a young person with an older person. Whether that's us parents with our children. And let me address that for a second. I pay my children as if they work for me. I don't give them less than I would hire somebody who came and did the same work for me. So if they are doing something that I would hire somebody to do, I pay them the same. Why? Two things. I'm the parent, and I'm supposed to be the number one example of Jesus in their life. I don't even take advantage of my kids. I don't do the Bill Cosby thing. I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. I want them to know that Jesus loves them. And a fair paycheck for a fair day's work is exactly how that happens. And I'm not talking about household chores. I'm talking about things that are extraordinary things that you would maybe have them do, that something you can pay them for, pay them fairly. They're learning how to honor the Lord in everything in that regard. Don't shortchange your kids. And if it turns into a family project because there isn't enough money, then go do it with them and show them how to work effectively side by side. Don't abuse power, knowing that your master also is in heaven and neither is their respective persons with them. I love this. And I know you guys have all had this experience. You've met kind of those arrogant people who the first thing they do is shove a business card in your face and it's got PhD, LBJ, 123, KFC on it. You know, it's 47 acronyms, and it's just like it's drawn out. It's on the back of the card, some more acronyms. And it used to be, when I was in business, we carried briefcases. You know, now you carry a tablet. But they'd walk up, and, you know, well, there I am, and I'm an expert and everything. And God doesn't care. He does not care. You're not going to get to heaven. Well, here's my card. God's going to go, it's okay, i got a couple billion just like you. He's no respecter of persons. We all have the same master, ultimately, and we all have the same standard, ultimately. And if you take that same standard into the world, that's why Paul said in that passage we read read in 2 Corinthians, Therefore I make it my aim, whether absent or present, to be well-pleasing to him. You see, if my goal is to make my Savior happy, you ever thought about that when you get up? Oh, God, let me, let me make you happy today. Let me put a smile on your face with how I treat people, with how I do my job, with the way I talk, with the way I walk, with the things I do, with the things I say. That's our goal. That's how the light gets out. That's how people see it and go, man, whatever he's on, I want to be on that. Whatever club he belongs to must be a good club. Whatever she's doing, it's producing some wonderful things in her life. Her kids are different than my kids. Wonder what the difference is. We bring the light home. We then take the light back out. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we do ask for Pastor Chuck today that God, you just bless him. Please, Jesus, put your hand on his life. 
Lord, we thank you for the light that shined through his life. And Lord, would we be the same? God, whether we're a simple employee with minimal duties or whether we're the master of many, God, help us to be walking, talking, breathing, living pictures of Jesus wherever we go. Lord, we're grateful for your work in our lives. We thank you that it is by grace and through faith, administered in mercy, uh, that we even have a relationship with you. Help us to be gracious and merciful and kind and gentle and tender and loving wherever we go. Lord, help the light shine through us. Lord, if there's any wicked way in us, help us to see it and turn. Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted, that your name would be raised on high. That, Lord, knowing that there is that one name under heaven whereby men may be saved, may we be that name alive and well in this world. We love you, we praise you, we thank you, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.